0: Hey, theater people, Patrick here. Just a few announcements before we get to today's show. First, something really cool happened last week, you guys. NPR, that's National Public Radio, launched Earbud.fm. It's a website where NPR features a little over 200 podcasts that they think are some of the best on the internet. The list was whittled down from over 800 podcasts that were suggested to NPR by listeners, celebrities, and podcasting pros. And guess what, you guys? Theater people made the list. We were submitted by Liz Richards of Maximu Podcast, and we had no idea until we got a very exciting email from NPR. We are so honored to be in the company of some of our heroes, like Serial, This American Life, Mystery Show, Radio Radiolab, Snap Judgment, and so many other really, really cool podcasts. It's this great site with some great suggestions, so check it out, www.earbud.fm. And thanks so much, Liz. One more thing, and just indulge me here. If any of you follow our Twitter feed, you probably saw that Steve and I dressed up our 20-month-old daughter as Lynn manuel Miranda as Alexander Hamilton for Halloween. It was an epic costume. Lynn called her up at the Ham for Ham show. It was so amazing. So many people have asked where we got the costume, and I'm delighted to share that one of my oldest and best friends, Alice and Jane, made the costume by hand, you guys. She has a company called Call Ager. That's C A L L. A-J-A-I-R-E. On her website, you can order custom clothes and amazing costumes and patterns. The website is www.callajare.com. Check it out. Hey, child, look at you in the mirror. Did you think that you still
1: be standing now?
0: Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to the Theater People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. So this week's episode was supposed to be our interview with Beth Malone, Tony nominee for Fun Home. It's a great interview and we're going to get it out soon, but we had to switch things up a little bit because producer Mike, my husband Steve, and I saw a performance of a new off-Broadway musical called Songbird, which is currently running at 59 East 59th Street Theater. You guys, the show is incredible. It's a modern-day telling of Chekhov's The Seagull. It's set in Nashville, and the show is infused with this honky-tonk, country, bluegrass, rock and roll score written by Lauren Pritchard. You may remember Lauren Pritchard as I certainly did for originating the role of Ilsa in the original Broadway production of Spring Awakening. She went on to become a singer, songwriter, and is now a musical theater composer. I cannot overstate how amazing the songs are in Songbird. The show stars Tony nominee Kate Baldwin, who is our guest today. We wanted to get this episode out as quickly as possible because the show is only running through November 29th, and we wanted to let as many people know as we possibly could. Kate is best known for her work in Finian's Rainbow, for which she earned her Tony nomination, Big Fish, and the Michael John Lacusa musical, Giant. She was so much fun to chat with. Just a quick note. We'll be using a bit of music from Songbird in the intro here and at the end of the episode. Unfortunately, Kate's tracks aren't available yet, but we really wanted you to hear some of this amazing score. If you'd like to hear Kate sing one of her songs from the show, you can hear an acoustic version of Small Town Heart on her website, which is www.kate-baldwin.com. And we highly suggest you check it out. Enjoy the show. Hi, Kate Baldwin. Hi,
1: Patrick.
0: Welcome to the Theater People podcast. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you. We were just saying in the hallway, Mike and I saw Songbird the other night, and we were just like completely blown away. Great. Congratulations on the show.
1: Thank you so much. We're so happy with it.
0: How did you come to be involved?
1: Uh, uh, I was called, they called me uh, at the end of August, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. I was on vacation with my family in northern Michigan. And I got a very excited email slash phone call from my agent saying there's this project called Songbird, and I sort of knew a little bit about it because my friend Aaron Dilly had talked yes. about it for a long time, and um, also I'm acquaintances with and uh, friends with Amy Spanger, and oh, so yes. you know just on her Facebook she was all about. Oh, I was Songbird like, she's all been a man, she? Well, she got Matilda at, right. at the end of August, so they needed somebody to replace her, and then they called oh. me, and I and I. Um, I locked myself in a room and read it and and listened to all the demos which are uh, primarily Lauren Pritchard singing everything yes. so how do you not love that oh
0: my god her voice
1: because if you know anything about Lauren Pritchard yeah. you you get sucked into her um, her music and her voice and her just very essence from the beginning
0: for people who don't know her she yeah. um, she was in the original company of Spring Awakening that's she
1: was right. Ilsa is that the right character yeah that's right yeah. and she
0: sings that like, has amazing songs and she has the opening part of the song of Purple Summer that's and she right. has that like amazing voice and she sort of went on and became a recording artist yes um, and then she wrote the music for Songbird
1: that's right yeah, yeah. she's on tour right now now the wilderness politics tour and she, um, and so, and so she wrote all this, the songs for songbird. Um, Michael Kimmel wrote the book, um, based on the Chekhov play, the seagull and the two of them started working on it, I think two years ago, but, wow. but my involvement didn't start until uh, late August when I read it and fell in love with it. And, um, Asked my husband if I could go do it because he's working this fall and we have a small child and we're always <laughs> trying to you know do the chess game of who's what state are you in and where oh, are you God, working and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so uh, I'm really glad that that they called me and and I was able to to come and and play because um, it was a huge. Um, stretch for me and and a really fun one and Lauren gave me a ton of country music artists to listen to and that's been so much fun it's sort of been you know mind altering a little yeah. bit for for this musical theater girl like to to listen to country music in a different way
0: you are so terrifying in <laughs> the show <laughs> I know. It's so funny because it's not what I think people expect of you because you're so like you have this like just really sweet like soprano-y personality and and in this show you're very funny but terrifying like really, like at intermission Mike was with me and my husband was with me and I was like, you guys, I'm afraid of her. (laughs) How did you find your way into this character, Tammy? As you said, it's based on, it's not based on, but it's like a modern day telling of the seagull.
1: Yeah, I sort of, I say it's a retelling of the seagull story, the one that we we know and love uh, from theater school. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. And from the wonderful productions that have happened here recently. There was a Kristen Scott Thomas one mm-hmm. a couple of years ago with an astounding Carrie Mulligan as yes. Nina. Um, and then, of course, there was one in the park with Meryl Streep, you know. So so those are two actresses that you look at having played this role and you go, oh, my gosh, I uh, need to figure figure myself out here if I'm going to, you know, attempt Ark- as the as the... Is the character of the Chekhov and then in our version she 's Tammy Tripp yes and she's um, and she 's come back to her little hometown um, after you know becoming a, a platinum record selling uh, recording artist but whose whose career has started to fade um, as for you know how do you how do you i don 't she is a monster and so I you know, one of my very first um, reactions to the script was, I, I was like, I can't do this. No, 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 I can't do it. <laughs> and as I was reading it, I was like, mm-mm, no, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> and then I got to the scene in the third act. Well, it's the third act of the Chekhov where, uh, where I sing a lullaby to mm-hmm. my son, who I have been a terrible mother to. And uh, that's when I turned around and said, okay, I can do this, because she does have a, a moment of vulnerability and... Um, and longing for a relationship that she has so thoroughly um, decimated and so thoroughly... Forgotten about and, and and avoided and ignored and, and pushed away. So, so to me, to have that little glimmer yeah. of a human being. <laughs> maybe it's because my son is really into Darth Vader right now I'm really into like <laughs> Star Wars. I think like you know, if I am Darth Vader, there is a moment of Anakin Skywalker yes. when the mask does come off. You know what I mean? So, That's
0: such a good <laughs> analogy. That's so perfect.
1: Yeah. So so in a way, I see her as a person who started. And and also, what another redeeming moment for her is the very beginning of the play. You get to see her sing her song at the Grand Old Opry yes. when she's about 22 years old, and she's singing her small-town heart song, which is the song that propels her into stardom. And you never get to see that in The Seagull. They get talked about. She gets talked yeah. about as a fame, famous and well-loved actress, but you don't get to see her become it. And in our version, you get to see her um, put that song out there and, and receive the kind of um, uh, glory that, you know, celebrity and, and, you know, say what you will about, about it, whether it's real or fake in her mind, it's real at the mm-hmm. moment. And so to see her kind of, so, so to me, she's a construct. She has, she has put on the armor of, uh, of tough lady. Uh-huh. Um, I read a fabulous book called, um, dreaming out loud, um, that's chronicles some, uh, some of the, uh, country music artists, Garth Brooks, A young man named Wade Hayes and then Winona Judd. Uh And the Winona Judd stuff was so fascinating to me. Just a, a woman as part of a female duo in the late 80s, early 90s, trying to gain some traction, trying to fight for what they loved and fight for the music that they wanted to be made and how both of them, Naomi and Winona, figured out the system and how they had very different takes on it. And so, so yeah, so I, I kind of delved into all that and constructed her. And, That's um, so
0: interesting. Yeah,
1: it, it was really interesting. I wanted to talk a little
0: bit about the use of music music in the show because it's not mm-hmm. traditional in the sense that, like, the music doesn't necessarily, like, move the plot along. Right. And you guys are, like... I was saying, like, wow, I want to live in this town where everyone has like an amazing voice and they're all like amazing musicians. How was it putting the music together as an ensemble? Did you have a band leader, or did it was it just like everyone was good at something and you all sort of brought your talents together? Well,
1: I mean, never have I felt less talented on a stage. <laughs> I mean, I mean everybody picks up so I think Andy Taylor plays like three instruments. Yeah. And then if you know Bob Stillman at all, he has a he has a little ukulele solo, but oh, you yeah. know he can play the piano like no like nobody's business, right? So so he picked up the ukulele and was like, Oh yeah, these cards, okay, great. And he never Played it before, but playing it and and doing a two-step during the show. Um, So I think you know they wouldn't even give me a shaker egg. That's how (laughs) (laughs) that's how terrible I am. Um, uh, But yeah, the idea that it is a town where music is the common language, and so so much of the play is about what is unsaid, about um, hiding behind uh, a facade or or what happens between the lines. Um, that the music provides a community. The music provides a way to connect with your fellow um, family member or lifelong friend um, in a way that you can't with words, mm-hmm. because they're just so in denial about the state of their lives. Yeah, and so so music in the way in that way sort of softens it and and gives a a breath for everybody to sort of relax. And 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 there are moments of like a, of like a kind of jamboree, you know, jam yeah. out kind of feel about it that are celebratory. You know, that are whiskey lullabies is a great example of that. Crimea yeah. River is a great example yeah. of that where they can. Blow off some steam and like and like live a little bit and not feel the pressure of of the world crashing down on the Tammy Tripp feels the world crashing down on her all the time. Go on in
0: like for
1: you. Go on in I will be more. So, so the music is a fantastic release. As for uh, as for the incredible actor singer musicians that are in the show, you know, I was sort of uh, the last person to join the cast. So, they had all done a version of it at Joe's Pub and Hello. also a version of it at 54 Below uh-huh. last June, I think. So they were all well versed and entrenched in what the style is so it's they have been playing these songs adam and eric have been playing these songs for years um and and so and lauren really lauren composes on the piano if you can believe it. oh really she doesn't play guitar oh. so she would sit down at the piano and say and play chords and say this is how i feel it this is how it needs to be and then our music director chris kuchel and the guys will get together with on the, uh, get on the guitar and say do you want this kind of feeling or do you want it to like how do you want this to sound and she will sing along and she will sort of pick and choose Wow and describe how it should go because she did write a couple of new tunes for, for this version of, of Songbird and unfortunately there are some songs that were in the previous concerts that have since, uh, left.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you know, we'll be on like the bonus track on uh, yeah. the <laughs> You guys are
0: going to record, yeah? Oh God,
1: I hope so. Yeah, me too. I really do. I mean... I- how could you see that show and not? I know want to hear I, it every I know. day. It's
0: true. Yeah. How is it? We're so used to seeing. I mean, certainly we know that you have a breadth of work off Broadway, but we're used to seeing you in recent years on Broadway and like big musicals and stuff. How was it to go and work at a smaller venue like Fifty Nine East Fifty Nine? Which, by the way, I had never been to, and it's yeah. so beautiful. Isn't it great? Yeah, and the set looks super expensive. Like okay. it looks like it. It looks like a big budget show.
1: Cool. Well, yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, people ask that question all the time. The difference I know it's a but... Well, I don't know how to answer it other than, like, the eyes I'm looking into on stage with me are all Broadway people. Like, right. they've all been on Broadway <laughs> right. shows. So it's like, it doesn't feel like, you know, a, a, a step down or sideways mm-hmm. or anything like that. It feels like we're just doing it in a smaller, more intimate space. And what's kind of great about it is that we see you in the audience. Yeah. We yeah. feel you in a different way than we do at, you know, the Neil Simon theater, right. which is so massive. Um, we just, we, you, you feel like part of the play with us. Yeah. And we, and we had a really weird experience last night, you know, the ending of the show. Yeah. I, I won't give it away, but you know, there's an acapella section and, and then the lights go off. Uh, it 's blackout, and then there 's sort of a moment, and then the applause usually starts last night. The lights went off, nobody applauded and It felt like you know it feels like five minutes of yeah. silence and darkness, but it also felt like the enormity of what had just happened was sinking in with the audience, and they weren 't ready to applaud because mm-hmm. it, it you know and and they were in that room with us, you know we 're okay. all in the same room together. It feels very communal intimate yeah. yeah and and that's I think what I like best about about this experience
0: there's a couple of moments in the show that are like that that mm-hmm. you want to applaud because the artistry that has just happened is so beautiful and amazing but it's can be a little dark or sad or whatever and as an audience member you do feel that of like I want to give them their due and tell them I loved what they just did but I'm not applauding for the action that just happened for
1: sure yeah I've been in the audience of that you know that situation too and you're like that person's amazing god I feel so terrible about life (laughs) I can't applaud now oh but they need me to but you know what we've we're pretty good about knowing that there is no barometer you can't use laughter or applause as a barometer for this particular play
0: absolutely
1: because everybody's gonna have I I mean that when when I yell it Back or something like that, people, sometimes there's one lone lady who'll laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh, and laugh <laughs> as I'm berating a man in front of, and yeah. everybody else is aghast. I was like, you know, everybody's going to have their own response to what is happening.
0: You have this one line that, and I'm gonna forget the character's name, but you say, you have this line in the second act. What's the character's name? Mia. Mm Mia. And you come out and you say, is that Mia? You all been singing? And I thought I was never gonna stop laughing. (laughs) Like, I thought, my, my husband on one side and Mike on the other were like grabbing my shoulder. They're like, you cannot lose it right now. It was the most brilliant delivery and so perfect and it just it like broke the tension and was hilarious at the same time and it was
1: like and totally honest and totally true yes. she is just jealous as jealous can be yeah yep
0: uh, well congratulations <laughs> is the show gonna do, are there plans for it to go on after it's run at 1596? we
1: shall see gosh I would love to and I know the whole company would love to this has really been a labor of of love and, and uh, I know that you know our director was just with us Two nights ago giving notes. Yeah. I'm the kind of actress who's like, bring it on, you know, mm-hmm. give me notes up until the very last yeah. day. <laughs> I, I love new things to think about. So um yeah, and I, I think our producers are are looking around for um, interest and yeah. you know, you know anybody with a couple million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> Let me write you a check before if, you leave. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it takes these days. Ugh, God,
0: I know, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. But I'm well, so
1: happy for you know, shows like The Humans and mm-hmm. the Bandstand who have yes. just Reach, you know, announced moving to Broadway. I and like it's, Disaster, it's just, which was disaster. just a tiny little
0: off Broadway right. show that's coming with this huge cast. Isn't that great? I so love great.
1: hearing stories like that. Yeah, me so. too. So who knows?
0: Can we t- can we go back a little bit and talk about your fabulous career? <laughs> 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 yes. I wanted to start by talking about Finian's Rainbow.
1: Okay. How I feel in Glaucomore mm-hmm. Is that little brook still even there? Does it still run down to Donny Cove Through killiebegs, killcarrie and Kildare? How are things in Glockamora? Is that willow tree still?
0: I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about if that if that show was maybe the moment where maybe you felt like you had arrived, mm. and what sort of, how that changed the trajectory of your career.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it definitely changed the trajectory of my career. Um, it was six years ago. It was this uh, fall. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it was fall six years ago, and um, uh, yeah, it, it It was a surprise, I'll say, because we did it at Encores, Mm -hmm. and I, up to that point, maybe done like three or four or five Encores up to that point, and... um Finally, got to be the leading lady in a non-course and uh, I remember the New York Times review came out, and I was a dummy and read it. And um, now I know not to do that ever again. And, uh, it was really good, though. It was really yeah, yeah, yeah. good. I just read it today. I was like, wait, no, they loved you. They did. Yeah. And um, and I sort of tur- I remember turning to my husband, and be like, okay, well there it is. I did what I did wanted to do. I got a you know lead part and and a great review. Of the New York Times, you know, folded up, all done. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's go have a baby. Do yeah, totally. you know what I mean? I was kind of like, great. <laughs> yeah. Check that one. Off the list, and he was like, Are you insane? Um, and he's like, Wait, <clears throat> this show might move to Broadway. And I was like, Finn, it's Rainbow, really? Mm-hmm. On Broadway? Come on. And then that happened, and I was so surprised and so surprised by how beautifully it was received, not because I was surprised by the good work that was going on, because it course. was kind of one of those perfectly cast shows. Mm-hmm. Jim Norton was perfectly cast, Cheyenne Jackson has never been more delicious and wonderful. Oh, and he's delicious and wonderful I every know, day. don't you wish he'd come back? <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, and Chris Fitzgerald couldn't mm-hmm. have been better and um Terry White everybody sort of like yes. rediscovered Terry White. That
0: was an amazing story. I they know. did a whole story about her in the times and yes. where she had been up till that point. Yes. And that was so exciting to see her on Broadway again.
1: Yeah. yeah. And uh and so the whole thing felt like a dream. If you think if, if I th- if I think about it now, it does feel like a dream. And I remember um opening night I would sort of like floated into the theater and hadn't even like eaten anything that yeah. day. And my, I remember my dresser and my And my person doing my hair were like, okay, here's a salmon salad. Why don't you just sit down and have some of this? Because it just felt unreal, you know? It was Mm -hmm. unreal. Um, but it was it was a fantastic thing that did fantastic things for, for my career, and yeah. all of a sudden I started getting phone calls that I'd never gotten before, you know, to, to workshop new things and to and to be a part of um, developing new musicals, which is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. where it's at.
0: Well, speaking of, the, I think one of the first things I got to see you in was mm. Giant, oh. the Michael John LaCusa piece yeah. at The Public, and yeah. it was... It took my breath away, Mm. that show. I loved that show so much. And I was curious. I mean, the show was like three hours and 15 minutes long. It's based on, I believe the New York Times called it a doorstop of a book because (sighs) the book is so big. It is. Um, And I was curious, A, just how that experience of working on that show was and how... I mean, I can only imagine the pressure of working on a new musical is is enough. But a musical that is, you know, the story spans generations. You know, it's like three and a half hours long. How was that experience for you? It was such a beautiful show.
1: I loved it. I loved every second of it. Uh, In fact, Michael John LaCusa and I used to live in the same neighborhood. Oh, really? So, So it was after Finian's Rainbow. And it was before it was, gosh, it was, I was pregnant. So it was January of... 2011, And uh, I was in the in the uh, grocery store and, you know, wearing my yoga pants and the <laughs> bell cap and, you know, no makeup and everything. I was literally in the nut aisle looking <laughs> for cashews because that's what the expected mother wanted. And so I turned around and, and I hear Kate Baldwin and I turn around and it's Michael John. I was like, oh, did
0: that? you know each other? No. Oh. But
1: I was a huge fan. I mean, who doesn't love Hello Again? Of course. Who didn't wear that CD out in their yeah. CD player in their sorority <laughs> house, you know, when they were in college? And, he tra- and I was like, oh, shit, that's Michael John Cusa. And he's asking me something. And he's like, I have written a new show, and it's called Giant, and I want you to sing it. And we're going to do a reading of it at the public. And would you please be a part of it? And I was like, oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just flipped out. Of course, I went home, and I called my agent. And I was like, they're going a reading of <laughs> Giant at the public? And he's like, we- and he's like, we're going to call the public right now. He calls, them back- calls me back and said, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's so funny. Anything. Yeah, exactly. So, so Michael John, um, you know, and so eventually there was a reading, and then I got to know Michael Greif yes. a little bit, and uh, what an extraordinary uh, shepherd for new work mm-hmm. is Michael Greif. The so smart, so um, just, just uh, he just works in a way that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we started that, and so by the time we got to the public at. You know, two years later, uh, I really had a great relationship with Greif and with Michael John and with Sybil, the book writer, uh-huh. to uh, and, and sort of crafting who Leslie Linton Benedict was. And really, the story that emerged for me from the doorstop of a novel <laughs> is the story of a marriage. It's the story of how to fall in love with somebody who is the polar opposite and somebody who is connected to a place and a time and a duty in a way that uh, you you don't understand Mm -hmm. and to accept and love and move forward with that person and ride off into the sunset knowing that you might not agree uh, but that you are going to figure it out together. You discover what you love and what you love leads you To a place you've never known before You discover what you love And what you love leads you To a window or through an open door When I'm a stranger in a stranger. And so so, having a partnership with somebody like Brian Darcy James, who's such a fantastic actor yeah. and singer. Uh... To to do that with, um, you know, I wanted it to be four hours long. Yeah, of course. Actually, I was ready for more. I could have <gasps> sat
0: there for another forty five minutes for sure.
1: Yeah, and so uh, Sheldon Harnick came to see uh-huh. the show, and he goes, "You promised me. You told me it was three hours long, and it was only two <laughs> hours and fifty two minutes. I want those eight minutes." Like, totally. Yeah, he was like, you got on me about that, but um, but yeah, there was so much story there, and um, and fantastic music, and uh, great characters to play. Uh, nothing black or white, everything is a shade of gray, and uh, and those are the kinds of characters you, you cherish as an actor.
0: I'm interested in the, in the timing of uh, when you were doing Big Fish, because it looks almost like you were doing it at the same time, is that mm-hmm. right?
1: Well, let's see, um, in terms of like readings and workshops go, yeah, I did a workshop, My son, I, I always go back to like my son was born, yeah. my son was born, <laughs> I did a workshop of Big Fish, I went off to Dallas to do Giant, came back, did another out of town for Big Fish. hmm Wait. And then did Giant, and then did Big Fish again. So yeah, wow. I was kind of going back and forth between those two projects. Yeah. And I'm happy that they timed out so that I could actually do them both. Yeah.
0: How? Uh, I mean, I love Big Fish. I Me loved too. the movie. I loved the show. Thank How you. was that experience for you?
1: Oh, another really, uh, but totally different yeah. uh, experience. Because um, um, Andrew Lippa writes in such a, a cool, accessible way. Uh, and I thought... Uh, Susan Stroman. I loved watching Susan Stroman work. I bet. And I actually sort of secretly based my character a little bit on Susan. Stroman. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I based um, some parts of uh, of Sandra Bloom on a friend of mine who is a an ex beauty queen from um, uh-huh. <laughs> from Thomasville, Georgia, <laughs> um, because she, to me she's the ultimate Southern. Um, beauty queen who has steel magnolia right yeah. so it has the backbone of, of iron but um, the light soft touch mm-hmm. of you gather more honey more more flies with honey than you do <laughs> with vinegar, right so, so she was the person who was holding it all together but with a very you know but you wouldn't know it um, and then also, you know, and then also and sort of Susan Strowman kind of is that person yeah. she's the general who will march into battle with a smile on her face, yeah, and, you know uh, and and call everyone to her side and and charge forward um, and uh, and and I appreciate uh, that kind of leadership. I appreciate her.
0: can I ask this delicately sure how how is it to be a part of a show that you know is great, yeah. that you feel is great that you've worked so hard on yeah. that isn't like critically well received?
1: It's happened so many times. (laughs) And and also, and then sometimes it happens that the critics do receive it really well, and then the public just doesn't Uh catch on in time. Yeah. It seems like there is this trend, or this phenomenon, or this state of Broadway where it's either a smash hit, and you can't get a ticket. Or it closes in three months. Right. There's, like, this feast or famine thing that's happening. It it kind of reminds me of the state of the disappearing middle class in yes. the United States. Like, uh-huh. the middle class is disappearing. Also, the shows that run for just a year or two years or need six months to find their audience, those shows are disappearing as well. It's either, like, you, you're a massive hit right out the gate... Or you fizzle and die, regardless of the uh, the talent or the work or the critical reception. Or you know what I mean? Like yeah, uh, absolutely. So it's super, super frustrating, and it happens over and over again. And, and it happens to me a lot. And uh, it's it's a heartbreak. I mean, it will break your heart. Yeah. Um, and so people always ask me, like, how do you find, just like you did at the beginning of this podcast, <laughs> how do you find that deep dark center for a person <laughs> like Sammy? And yeah, I was like, think of the injustices in the world. And I'm not going to compare, you know, the failure of a Broadway show to the g- true injustices in the world, like yeah. homelessness and childhood hunger and disease and and war. But uh, but if you think about it long enough, there are plenty of things that. Uh, you can get upset about and, yeah. and feel deeply and carry onto the stage with you every night and that's my sort of job as an actor and sort of the gift that I have as an actress is to be able to access all of that um, and I feel like it's my, my duty to, to do that <laughs> yeah. and um, <clears throat> so what, that, what a, a failed Broadway show does provide you is a fabulous community and a fabulous place and a fabulous community because I feel like the theatrical community gets it and people like you understand it, and the true uh, fans who come. Uh, and cheer you on and understand it in a way and love it the way that you love it, understand it too. And also I do feel like there is a legacy that we are laying down, that there is going to be a person who holds up that giant CD or downloads it from iTunes or whatever, or Big Fish. Big Fish is happening all over the country this year. I don't know if you know that. I did, yeah. yeah. Community theater productions, uh, university productions, regional productions, and they're all doing their own version of it and people are loving it and connecting with it and um, it's helping people deal with their families and their relationships and the loss of people they love and so that's the legacy of it and you have to sort of like give that up and 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 let it let it fly and let it be what it's what it's going to be and know that you are a part of creating that and it's going to touch so many more people than than the Neil Simon could ever hold.
0: Um, I know you have to go in a minute. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Can Can. Yeah. So you did Can Can last year. Oh, I was so
1: fun. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen? I don't know, man. <laughs> I have no idea. But all I know is that it was, again, just like Songbird, sort of a step outside of what people think of when they think of my. Uh, my work. Yes,
0: absolutely. And
1: it was a body, you know, sort of sexually liberated woman who told the truth. And I was like, I'm interested in truth telling. Why not? Let's get on that. Yeah. And also the chance to listen to a lot of Edith Piaf and, and do some, <laughs> do some French shunters and to wear some amazing dresses. Uh, I
0: looked at the pictures and they were <gasps> so beautiful. They were
1: so good, right? How is it to work at Paper Mill? I love Paper Mill. I've done um, five, four shows there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great. Um, And so, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, There was a producer involved with it, um, uh, Jonathan Burroughs, who's... um grandfather was Abe Burroughs who wrote the wrote the original book to uh, Can't yeah, okay. And so that's why he sort of came on board and started uh, looking at taking it um, to another place. Uh, but it's been a year and I haven't heard anything from him and mm-hmm. we'll see. I, I I think the show's great. Yeah. And audiences loved it. The dancing is spectacular. The tunes are fantastic and the way they've been reorchestrated by Steve Orich is great. Uh, and I'd love to slip back into those gowns. <laughs> That'd be fun.
0: <laughs> well, we love you. You're such a Thank gem. You. Thank you so much yes, for coming and doing pleasure. this. And good luck with the continued success of Songbird. Thank Everybody you. go see it. It's so, so good. We
1: should plug that there's a 10, 10 uh, seats for $10 each right now at 59 East 59th Street. Oh. So if you log in, if you go online to the 59 East 59th, 59E 59.org mm-hmm. on the day of the show you want to see, you can get a $10 ticket. Uh, there are only ten of them available each, for each night, oh, but wow. chances are good. I've had friends who have had great success.
0: And you can them. do it day out, and you don't have to go to the box office.
1: Do not. It's not. They're not available at the box office. That's
0: so great. And they're not available
1: on the phone. You have to go online. You'll see the button to push. The button to push. What am I? On like? <laughs> 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 um, the old jukebox. Um, I'm a thousand yeah, I'm a years typewriter. old. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see, you know, where to click yeah. to go through. And um, if you don't get it that day, come back the next day. And there's also student rush for twenty five dollars. Oh great! There's also a friends and family code for thirty dollar. You can get thirty dollar tickets for the code is wandering, which is the name of the of the song that Dean plays. That oh really yeah yeah
0: yeah! God, um, they are giving the tickets away.
1: We are trying so hard to get butts and <laughs> seats, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and there was there were a lot of um, availability last night, and I think every seat is a good seat because totally. it's such a small house.
0: Absolutely. So come,
1: just because you think you know it's a lottery or you know it, it'll be competitive, don't let that deter yeah, just you. Just do it. Please Come.
0: Especially for a show like this with like the new it's new, different, interesting music. Yeah. You know?
1: It you you will have a great time. It is
0: true. And yeah. the music will just get stuck in your head. It's yeah. like so contagious.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you you Well thanks, Kate Baldwin. Bye. Never knew he'd be
0: a broken. Theatre People. Patrick here. I wanted to take a minute to acknowledge something that happened on the last episode of the podcast. Jokingly, I made reference to our listeners and used the term baby blue eyes. It was brought to my attention quickly by one of our listeners that that is less than inclusive language. It goes without saying that we love and are so grateful for all of our listeners, and I'm really sorry if I offended anyone in any way with that comment. Theatre People is produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. I edited this episode. Special thanks as always to Bradley Behan, Steve Tipton, Eric Emsch, Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marie Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. You guys, this is our 50th episode. Can you believe it? I wanted to send an extra special thanks to Vanya Arslanian, who was our producer on this show in the beginning and who held my hand and calmed me down many, many times back in the early days when producing this show just felt impossible. We never could have gotten here without you, girl. We'll be back in two weeks. Or maybe sooner. You never know. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking.